This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast giving critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruining them. Potentially. Uh, We would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's episode on stolen Ghana land. We would like to pay our respects to all elders, past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi everyone. Hi. Uh, We are, we're back. Uh, but Mim isn't back. She's still off having a sold-out season in the Perth Fringe. Uh, she's been very successful she's and impressive. Successful. Yep. Um, she scares me. So, she's intimidating, right? Yeah, so much. Um, so you might be wondering, hold on, if Mim isn't there, who is this other voice that you are speaking to, Ellis? And I would say, well, podcast listener, that is the voice of friend of the podcast, Miranda Richardson. Hi, Miranda. Hi, Ellis. Hello. How are you going? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. That's good. Yeah, doing I'm a podcast. Glad. You're doing a podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Actually, right now. What? As we speak. No, that's great. Hmm. Uh, Miranda and I have known each other since uni. We studied creative writing together. Miranda has also uh, a a published uh, comic writer in multiple things, most predominantly her original series, Hail. Can you tell us a little bit about Hail quickly? Yeah, sure. So um, I finished Hail a couple of years ago. It was a um, superhero comic about a woman who crumbled into shards of glass as she experienced anxiety attacks. So it was something more of a response to superhero comics as they were, um, with a little bit more kind of gentleness and, and femininity to it, um, along with mental illness themes. If, if you missed out on reading Hale, you can still find it in, in local comic shops around Adelaide. I know I see them uh, every now and again in like Greenlight Comics. Greenlight Gamma Rays, yeah. Amazing. Please go check them out. It's a really great story. Uh, but also, it kind of makes Miranda the perfect expert to bring on to today because we are talking about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. And listeners and Miranda, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this because since the start of the podcast, this is kind of the main thing I've wanted to do an episode on and I just haven't had the opportunity to do it. So thank you very much for coming in and letting me like just vent about how great the show is. No worries. I think... Um... We're probably least likely out of any other show to be ruining this one because, let's be honest, <laughs> it is feminist. <laughs> Can I spoil that? Like, it is. No, we've got we to maintain the suspense until the okay, end, sorry, you know? Yeah, like, right, with, right. after all of okay. our praise, people right. are going to be like, but what are they going to do? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, for those of you who haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, but Shira and the Princesses of Power is a 2018 Netflix animated series that's a reboot of the She-Ra franchise, uh, which I think is a spin-off of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe from the 80s. It was all about selling toys back then, but this is about Adora, uh, who kind of is part of the evil horde and then realizes that the evil horde uh, are a little bit too evil and decides to side with the, the Princess Rebellion to, to overthrow the, the evil army that's trying to take over Etheria. 
And in doing so, she finds this magical sword and she starts turning into She-Ra, the mythical eight-footed, essentially god that kind of protects Etheria and the people in it. And I love this show. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was actually introduced to it by your husband. See, the thing is, I introduced him to it. So really, you really, introduced me to yeah, it. Yeah, like you can thank me. I, thank you. Yeah. Thank you welcome. very much. It's so good. <laughs> um, well, let, let, let's, let's talk about it. Because this is a, a reboot um, of this show from the 80s, which was made to sell toys, and She-Ra was kind of like the female spin-off of this male-centric franchise, uh, like, He-Man doesn't exist in this version of She-Ra. It's entirely self-contained in its own wholeness mm, yeah and I think it's really interesting to be able to kind of um, recapture those characters in that world um, from a feminist perspective and, and take ownership of a space that maybe wouldn't have been uh, for women in the past mm -hmm. yeah and and I, th I think like I think you're, you're really right it's a very feminist take on it and I think that helps because the showrunner is comic artist Noelle Stevenson who is amazing and they have always been a very staunch feminist in their work and yep. kind of imbued elements of that into everything that they've mm. created. So it yep. makes sense that it's it's all throughout She-Ra. And I love that Noelle adds this unique, gentle sense of humour to all of um, all of the work she creates. Um, and because I think a lot of the time women aren't considered to be funny or whatever. <laughs> um, and humor is, I guess, because if our role is to be beautiful all the time, then humor isn't necessarily going to make us look beautiful. Mm. But her work is so gentle and kind. And, um, and I guess those, those feminine values come through in this, in this work as well. One of the first things that I heard about the show long before I actually watched it was there was quote unquote controversy surrounding the redesigned characters because She-Ra in the 80s was very curvy and leggy and sexually titillating. And none of the characters in this reboot are that mm. at all. There's like no sexualization of any of the characters. Yeah, which is so refreshing. And I think um, there is such a range of body types for all of the mm -hmm. female characters. As it is, Noelle has inverted the usual ratio of male to female characters in general. So because of that, there is such a wider um, range of possibilities because there are so many more female characters yeah. in the first place. Um, so Glimmer, you know, she has kind of thicker thighs and um, She-Ra herself, when uh, Adora turns into her, uh, is eight foot tall, as you said. I think yeah. it's eight. I think well it's eight. done. Well done. Um, so she becomes really tall and bigger, which is, you know, size is, is not really allowed for women. Like, as a tall woman myself, I often feel like the pressures of... Um, trying to be smaller and delicate and that's just not something I'll be so yeah. for me it's seeing women who are like bigger and smaller and all sorts of different shapes is it still really grabs my heart when I <laughs> watch it like, <laughs> because actually even though there are so many um, new feminist works moving into the canon nowadays we've got so many progressive um, works of fiction coming out that it actually is still a minority like most um, like Hollywood films, most mm. fiction is still not so great on the feminist front <laughs> and and it's still something that you forget you need until you see it. And She-Ra does so much normalising 
of all of these things. We we watched a few episodes in preparation for this, and in the the, the opening episodes especially, there's no like doesn't question itself it doesn't take time to kind of like justify any of the choices it's made in terms of design mm. or or anything like that yeah it just kind of is and unashamedly is yes which like belies that. a lack of the kind of insecurity or defensiveness that you might see in some uh works that are attempting to kind of teach lessons mm. um yeah i think that even though it's like it's really wonderful that there are more progressive works coming out now it's an easy trap to fall in when you're writing work like that, where you will end up sounding really, really didactic because you're trying to teach lessons and, and be very, very clear and careful in the way that you work with your subtext in what you're saying. Um, but it's, it's easy for those works to come out feeling like a documentary that they make you watch in health class <laughs> in high school, um, teaching you not to bully people and diversity is good and all that kind of thing. And it can easily be patronizing. Um, whereas Shira is so natural and mm. unafraid. Um, and it, and, and yeah, as you say, it becomes a normalized thing that all of these characters are together and being themselves and, and, and it's not something they have to fight for. Yeah. Except, you know, in the whole, like, main narrative arc where they fight the Horde for the right to be diverse <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> it, yeah, it just is, except for that bit. Uh, so, a uh, broad spoiler warning, we're going to be talking about the finale and stuff. Uh, so if you haven't watched She-Ra, uh, go watch it. Go watch it all. If you get spoiled, it's your own fault, but yeah, then still watch warned. it anyway. You've been warned. Yeah, it's too um, late. It's interesting that the main antagonist at the end of the series uh, kind of like comes out, not comes out of nowhere, but like invades the story mm. uh, quite suddenly is this force that is trying to eradicate diversity. Mm. And it almost kind of like, it, to me, it happens quite subtly until yeah. I realize like, oh shit, they're really fighting against yeah. conformity. And he was always yeah. there. Like his cause yeah. was always there and it just kind of crept up on them and and the face of his cause was initially Hordak mm-hmm. who spoilers was redeemed um <laughs> through and, the power of friendship and of course you know sexism and patriarchy and all that bad stuff um yeah. is perpetuated through so many different faces um, of people who often have good intentions and um and every character I guess in the story is still learning and learning from each other which is great that they embrace that because um I think it's so easy to judge characters, especially in fantasy fiction, where um, the best thing about it is, I guess, the polarised dynamic between good and evil. Um, I guess illustrating that dynamic as flexible is a really important thing because in reality, like, I think it's not necessary to judge people so, so easily and mm-hmm. so um, irreversibly. Because until Hordak Prime arrives, there is no real polarized black or white morality every villain is somewhat sympathetic and their Mm -hmm. motivations are somewhat understandable and you come to to learn more about them and they in turn learn more from the other the influences of the other characters and it's not until the overshadow of horde prime wanting to literally take over everybody's mind yes after horde prime comes in i guess the story takes a turn where the good and evil definitely solidifies. Mm. Um, but Horde Prime is spoken to by a number of characters and is given a number of opportunities to change his mind about what he wants to do. 
and to the very end kind of insists upon that. Yeah. But I love that at the end, Shira doesn't actually use violence to beat him. She kind of just grows trees in his spaceship <laughs> and, um, and exercises him out of this Hordak character. What, what she really does is kind of like uh, quells his ideology. Yeah. And it's like his toxic ideas are the real threat. And by purging them from his followers, they're able to achieve peace. Mm, and freedom. And freedom. It's all about the freedom. It's all about the freedom. Man, this show's <laughs> great. Uh, <laughs> Miranda, tell me about the, the feminine concepts in Shira, Because there's a lot of femininity in sure. this show. Yeah, so the show definitely values uh, feminine-associated concepts like gentleness and vulnerability and communication um, and even connection with nature um, a lot more than we're kind of used to, which is really great. I would say that uh, for most of the show, there's a bit of interrogation of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. So um, it's there's some really great representation of male characters like Bo, who is fairly feminine, but he's also straight dude who yeah. hangs out with his cool female friends um, there's also Seahawk who likes burning boats uh, and <laughs> and allows his girlfriend Mermister to tell him what to do quite a bit I, f- I feel like in any other show Seahawk would be the hero but in this he is the completely ineffectual side character it's fantastic and I love him love him so much even um, Swiftwind as well who's like a beautiful unicorn yeah also a boy and a really great person to have at a party <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there are all these kind of representations of masculinity that are a lot more uh, free in mm. the way in which they're, they're not so rigid. I think the most stereotypical depiction of masculinity, at least at first, comes from Hordak, who is very much, I am angry and evil and I want to destroy all the things. And even then, as soon as somebody kind of goes, are you okay? He's like, no. I'm not. Yeah. I have feelings and yeah. I would like to be able to express them in a healthy way. Yeah. <laughs> and all of those those things behind his darker behaviours are caused by those pressures on yeah. him. Yeah. But I do like that by the end of the show, Noel brings in the suggestion that not all feminine concept, concepts are necessarily ideal either. So mm. one of my favourite lines in the whole show is when Mara says to Shira in one of the last episodes you are worth more than what you can give to people. And this is when Shira is considering sacrificing her life in order to save everyone else. And self-sacrifice is a feminine concept. It's something that's kind of mm. part of our woman training when we are little babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, women are conditioned to give parts of ourselves all the time to people and, and give our emotional labor and give our energy and give our time to whoever wants it, usually men, I guess. Um, (laughs) But that's not a really helpful idea. And I like that Noelle doesn't just idealise every facet of femininity, but interrogates Mm -hmm. that part of it as well in the end and suggests that self-sacrifice isn't necessary. And, you know, Catra follows... Adora around for season upon season, just asking her to not do that and not keep leaving mm. to try and save everyone else and just be with her. And that's a really useful lesson to include in that because it's too easy to um, 
to draw a line between masculinity and femininity and say that only femininity is valuable or only mm-hmm. masculinity is valuable. I love that there's that nuance in this work. Yeah. It, it kind of like takes all the, the, the best aspects of masculinity and best aspects of femininity and goes, hey, these can apply to everyone. Yeah. And there are, there are bad parts of both and they're, they're bad because they're bad, not yeah. because they're masculine. And they can be questioned. They can yeah. both be questioned. And no matter who you are, you can take from both of those concepts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One, one of the things that I admire about this show is the way it reclaims a lot of things that are stereotypically feminine and therefore stereotypically associated with weakness. Totally. And the, the most prominent thing is uh, in its title. It's She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. And in most fiction, princesses is kind of like synonymous with like damsel in distress. Yeah. Or somebody who is helpless or somebody who doesn't actually have any control or power over their lives mm-hmm. and from the get-go you, the the show opens and the evil horde are training their cadets to be wary of the powerful monstrous princesses who will destroy you because they're <laughs> super powerful and magical mm-hmm. and then you spend the whole of the first season trying to make this princess alliance going around to all the leaders of all the different places in Etheria and they're all women and they're all referred to as princesses and it's like it's like a, a position of it's a position of power and it's like a, a an honor to be regarded as such and I, I really love the flexibility of that word in that catcher often uses the word princess like sarcastically mm-hmm. hey princess are you all right sort of thing but then in other circumstances princesses are, are the most powerful characters in the whole show no, that's what I have they're, to say. <laughs> they're, they're, like, they're like political figures. They're like the generals of armies, like C- C- Glimmer's Commander Glimmer for most of it before mm-hmm. she becomes queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's, that's the head of Etheria. She is the queen. There's no king because he's missing or dead. <laughs> they think he's dead, but he's missing. They think he's dead. Yeah. But even then, they're not, there's no like, oh, there must be a king. It's like, no. Nah, Mm. The most powerful is in charge, and yep. she's a badass chick. Yeah, and quite zealous as well. I like that about her personality. Yeah. That there is so much variation, not just in body type, but also in personality type within the cast. So, I mean, even Adora, who has those kind of tomboyish, mm-hmm. at the risk of using that word, 
uh, aspects. She also loves ponies and she <laughs> loves like eating sweets and all that kind of thing. Um, and I love that so many characters have those variations of, of values and ideas in themselves as well. They really embrace like the gentle aspects of their personalities and they aren't ashamed to tell each other that they care yeah. about each other. And it's, re- it's really wholesome to hear Bo coming up with their team name, which is just the best friend squad. So good. It's so beautifully wholesome. And again, normalizes all of these things. Mm. So that like people watching this could just be like, hey, I have a squad of best friends and I want to show them that I care about them as well. And that's okay. All of the hugs. All of the hugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy something that's really important to me in all work, particularly in fantasy and in fiction that centralizes around physical or violent conflicts Mm. is um is creating more intimacy between characters so within she-ra whenever characters are fighting they often have moments where they're in close up to each other and they can see each other's faces and they have meaningful conversations while they're fighting that i think is really important because in particularly in say superhero films hollywood Mm -hmm. films a lot of the time, as you reach the climax of the story, you move further and further away from the characters so that you can see all the explosions and such. But then you, you see their faces less and less. You know less about how they feel. I personally care less and less towards the climactic yeah. part of a film. Um, and I think that it's such a great kind of move forward to, to have characters see each other and understand each other while they're, you know, trying to kill each other. I think that's really <laughs> important. <laughs> and it... I feel like it is part of that understanding, not just for for the audience, but for the characters themselves, that allows so many characters who are on the evil side to kind of realise that what they're doing is wrong and bad, and perhaps Mm. we shouldn't be taking over the planet Mm. with our industrialisation. And that communication is then a catalyst for the improvement of their world and Mm -hmm. for She-Ra's kind of ultimate victory, rather than moving to a place where the main character has to kind of dominate in order to gain understanding from the villains. Mm-hmm. So um, so particularly in shonen anime where um, they write stories for boys, so shonen literally means boy, and that's their audience for that genre. That, that's your kind of like your Dragon Ball Zs, your One Piece, your Naruto's. Yeah, or, man. Or Ruto, no. Oh, yeah. Get down. Yeah. So they often show narratives where there will be communication and understanding between the villain and the hero, but it's always after the hero completely destroys the villain. They have to completely dominate this character before anyone will listen to each other, and that's considered the catalyst. The catalyst is, I own you, like, I've defeated you. (laughs) Whereas I so much prefer the gradual conversion of, of characters' emotional states over the course of this story, especially if we look at Catra. Mm. who is obviously on a clear redemption arc (laughs) from the beginning because she has so many vulnerabilities and she makes so many small attempts at reaching out to people or changing her behaviour throughout the story, but it's constantly reinforced that she will not be rewarded for that. Yeah. Um, And so she kind of falls repeatedly back into that trap. But... A lot of the time when you have redemption arcs like that, it can be annoying and repetitive when a character repeatedly falls back into their same patterns and it's like, why won't you learn this lesson? Why are you relearning this lesson over and over? But 
in this particular story, Catra's is quite natural and I believe mm. it the whole time and, and I feel her reasons for returning to Villainy over and over again and I also it also gives her a really natural arc into her redemption as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when so much in her life is kind of like changing, like the, the one person she thought she could rely on in Adora leaves her. Yeah. Her, like, her abandonment issues kind of clop and she's never received any sort of of real positive reinforcement from her parental figures and so yeah. she's just kind of like clawing at anything to uh to protect herself and the only way that she knows to do that is to be more and more villainous and it's kind of like every time you see her do something you take understand. that next step yeah yeah you, you understand the entire time because it, the world she's seeing suggests that the only way to survive is to do what she does is to be selfish and betray people and trick people yeah and it's only, again, when she kind of like has the understanding that, oh, no, that is not the way that the world should work and not yeah. the way that I want to work, yeah. that she's able to find some modicum of peace and, and happiness. And she's actually a more beautiful character because I think towards the end she really doesn't expect any welcome from the people around her, um, even if she does do the right thing. I think against her expectations she mm. decides to do the right thing for Adora and go back and try to help her and tell her she loves her which is mm. I guess that's that gives her courage it illustrates her courage and that's really what redeemed it rather than her actions for me like despite the risks that she felt were there she did the right thing so yeah. she's a really like she's a really valorous character in that way and really relatable um, and I also really love that she's super, super hot. <laughs> she's so hot. It's there, great. There's a, there's a scene in the episode Princess Prom where they're all going to this big kind of diplomatic party, essentially. And Catra wears this like maroon reddish yeah, suit. So good. And I remember watching that for the first time and being like, if I was a woman, I'd be gay now. I think that makes like, sense. It, it's That's a reasonable just, thing to say. Yeah, th like that. <laughs> I, I I imagine that that is a lot of young women's sexual awakening. Might have just been <laughs> that moment, catch her in the suit and just been like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They, you know, that was another episode where they they were close while they were in conflict. They mm -hmm. danced together, and the, oh, the tension in that episode was oh. just so great. <laughs> From from the get go, um, watching this series, I was like, Catra and Adora have to end up together, right? Mm. And the entire time, I'm just watching it, going like, they have to end up together, yeah. right? And I'm like, they, you can't tease us like just this. Just so many cute moments where they like land on each other or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that like Catra sleeps at the end of Adora's bed. Oh my god! And I'm just like, oh, they're oh, it's 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 beautiful. So beautiful. But just Catra has a lot of issues that she needs to work through. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Before they're. They're, they're in a healthy space. Mm. Um, but the, the thing that I love, one of the things I love about the finale is She-Ra is set up as this very powerful warrior. Like she is this force of nature almost. And her role leading up to the finale is very much, I'm She-Ra, I'm going to go jump through space and slice up all these spaceships so that we can get away. And it's this huge show of destructive power. But in the finale, she doesn't fight at all mm. or we never see her actually actively fighting it's the, the way that she defeats horde prime is like you said by turning his spaceship into a tree and bringing life and nature and magic back to the world that it's mm. been drained from or exercising the toxic ideology from 
Hordak. That's what I like to do with villains yeah. is just exercise the toxic ideology. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way. That's how I do it. But it, but it goes to, like you you would expect in such an action focused series mm. that the finale that the, would that the be violence like, would just escalate. I yeah. guess as it as it normally does. And and it, it, it does like there is a war going on and the mm. characters are all kind of fighting, but it's all for, always fighting to kind of like protect something. Yeah. And, or or to, to to protect themselves and the the victory comes in a a peaceful manner. And they're always reluctant to fight. It's not glorified. Yeah. I love that. The violence isn't glorified in this because it's it's harder actually to write in a way that doesn't result in I guess simple conflicts being resolved through dominance. Mm. So that impresses me. It's a very impressive series. It's so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to talk to, about Shadow Weaver. Sure. No, because I think one thing that this show does very well is demonstrating the very complicated relationship that one can have with an abusive parental figure. Yeah. Because uh, you have Shadow Weaver, who's kind of like Hordak's second-in-command, and she essentially raised Adora and Catra, but in doing so, pitted them against each other in the sense that Adora was always the golden child and praised, and Catra could never do anything right and was constantly scorned. And the two of them kind of grow up with this conflict of like Shadow Weaver has tortured us, but she's also the only parental figure we know. And they have. Mm. They're constantly wishing for her approval. They're constantly trying to make her proud, even though she continually proves to, to just be manipulating them or using them for something else. And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch, but it's also, I I feel like it's depicted very realistically. Mm. Like, and quite warmly. So mm. I guess to spoil the ending completely, uh, Shadow Weaver does save the two of them at the end and sacrifices herself in order to do that. Yeah. And I I feel that it is a redemption arc, but it has some complexity to it in that, um, you know, she obviously, she takes off her mask as she says goodbye to them and she's all scarred and she she's flawed and all that kind of thing. And it shows that she's... Even though she's not perfect, she does this something there. Like, she does love them. Mm. And there is a, a reward for their devotion to her. And it, and it proves, I suppose, the reason why they could never move on from her or leave her. Because her abusive relationships are so complex. It, there always is some love there. There always is something mm. that holds you to them. But her final line is, you're welcome. Which is a really complicated way of saying goodbye and it it brings back everything she's kind of done to them in that she Mm. is putting them in a position where they now have to feel grateful to her and think of her in a more fond way Mm. and that itself is a kind of manipulation Uh, like I think it's so fascinating she's a fascinating character because she's she spends the whole time thirsting after power and doing whatever she can to to acquire as much power as she possibly can and to me, that ending is almost like she realizes that the most power that she could have is over her is over her daughters, daughters, so to speak. And being like, "I'm forcing you. Anytime you think of me, you're gonna have to remember the fact that mm. I saved your life, and I, in fact, in saving your life, I saved the world. Mm. Really, I'm the biggest hero here. <laughs> and you're do we welcome. love her? Then I kind of loved her at that moment. I I have very conflicted feelings mm. about 
her because I was very, I, I guess I was grateful that she allowed Adora and Ketra to, to move forward, but I, I couldn't shake the fact that she mm. was an abusive parental figure and that'll always kind of mire yeah. my view of her. I don't, I don't think I could... I wasn't in a position where I could forgive her Yeah. at that stage. And, and it's great that yeah. we can both have such different feelings about it. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like Adora and Katra had conflicted feelings about it mm. at the time. They, like, again, that they were watching their... Essentially watching their mother die in mm. front of them. But also there was this person who had been a, a huge, huge source of conflict their entire lives. And... And then they had to just kind of like, well, we've got to keep going. We can't pause on this at the moment. Mm. I think it's a sign of good writing that you are feeling the same thing as, as the main characters yeah. throughout the story. It's a really well-written show. It was nice, actually, to watch something well-written. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It's amazing to write anything. <laughs> However, truly consistently high quality work mm-hmm. is rare and this show is worth watching because it is special in that way yeah it i it felt unlike anything i'd seen before there's so much warmth to it yeah and so much joy and humanity and it's funny yeah and sweet and heart like i cried all throughout the finale when i rewatched it for for this i was just like like yeah. yeah, and I think the, the intimacy that we've mentioned about the characters being closer to each other and communicating and all that kind of thing, that intimacy actually also translates to the relationship between the author or creator and mm. the viewer. I feel I felt closer to the show as I was watching it. I felt like the creators were reaching out to us specifically and not just yeah. kind of throwing ideas at us or throwing work at us to... It wasn't a money-making scheme, that kind of thing. No, it was a labour of real love and and Yeah, it was meaningful. Yeah. I find it fascinating that... I I feel like (laughs) my one barely a criticism about She-Ra is that I think the main plot is a little thin in that it is a bit... We are the rebellion and we're fighting against the army and and that's kind of like the bare basics plot. Mm. But I was so impressed at what they were able to do with that in terms of character work. Yeah. And it didn't matter that the conflict was a little bit rudimentary because I cared about what happened to these characters. I cared about what happened to this place. And I wonder if the show were weighed down by further complexity in that sense, it might have been too much. Mm. It might have been too busy conceptually in that way. And maybe because the show focused more on the gradual development of relationships instead of external plot points. Um, I, I personally think that that was okay and it gave it balance. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's just... Some... I mean, you have to try and find something to criticise, right? You have to every it's now really and really important to try. <laughs> <laughs> but they covered a lot of bases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I just... This is, this is one of those shows that I just recommend to almost everybody I'm like I, I just want people to watch this show because I think it it's so well made and well told and like the animation is really gorgeous it's just beautiful art design the colours the pretty colours the you theme know? song is Sparkles. bitching yeah totally it's so good I feel yeah. <laughs>
And another thing that I really love about it is how much it normalizes uh, queerness. Yeah. It's a really queer show from the outset. And I feel like Noelle Stevenson has said in places that she was like, yeah, I just wanted it to be really queer because she herself uh, is queer. Um, that makes, makes sense. Makes sense. Totally. Um, but you have things like uh, the characters Spinarella and Natosa, who are uh, both women and they're married. And that's kind of mentioned once or it just is. It just is. It's just there. It, it, it's, it's never like, mm. wait, women are married? What? No, yeah. it's just, it just exists. Um, Bo has two dads. Yeah. And, and actually something yeah. that I really like about the work is that the two main characters are gay. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of the time in, in fiction they'll throw queer characters into the background or alongside mm. the main characters and it won't be their story. But we get these two amazing gay women falling in love Mm -hmm. it's so good and i mean the thing that really saves the world if not the universe is the fact that these women were able to tell each other that they love each other oh my god yes and they have a big kiss and it's it's amazing their best kiss oh my god it's so good (sighs) (laughs) there's also um, another character that i want to highlight uh quickly is double trouble um i felt like double trouble was a really great example of a non-binary character yeah um or, or gender fluid character, and the, it normalized uh, they them pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't a conversation about it. It just like they're only referred to as they or them uh, the entire time. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. And also played by a non-binary performer. Yeah, so as good. Well, I do love that they staffed in a diverse way as well as yeah. um, including characters that were diverse. I think often you could sometimes you see movies that are meant to be feminist in nature and they're about a strong female character but they're written by men and often when I watch films like that I can just see a man speaking through a woman's face and it's just not as good you know (laughs) it's not as good um and so I think in some ways even before the nature of the narratives and the nature of the characters kind of the most important thing that we can do is um have diverse authorship i think funding Mm. diverse authorship is so important and and this one nailed it yeah it like on screen as much as animated people can be on screen off screen there's just women everywhere and it's women everywhere women everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but female voices and and non-binary voices are really important to highlight because it's not just because it's not just because of a principle, it's because, geez, it's boring hearing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Like, I'm tired of the same narratives. There's, there's so much narrative potential by raising new voices. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why the fact that, again, the plot is so rudimentary, mm. but it's told in a voice that we probably haven't heard it told before. And that's what makes it interesting and compelling. Plus, good character writing and good writing in general. Oh, yeah, all the, the goodness. In it's just general. all good. I think the goodness is part of the goodness, you know? <laughs> I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, because of the good. Oh, it's a good show because it's good. Yeah, because it's good. That's really what it comes down to, I think. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm very smart. <laughs> um, what else does it do good? Entraptor uh, in, 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 in exists. Um <laughs> One thing we wanted to raise quickly is the character of Entrapta, uh, who is adorable and, and lovely, uh, and also isn't neurotypical. 
or at least isn't presented mm. as a neurotypical character. Yeah, I think I, I read online that they they actually did deliberately write an autistic character, which is fantastic. It's I think it's often neglected even among progressive works um, to include people who are neuro, like aren't neurotypical mm-hmm. or who um, have disability or physical limitations or difference in any kind of way that will make the world that they navigate uh, more complex than um, than the ones of, of the rest of the characters, I guess, mm. and chronic pain and all those experiences. Those things are really, really hard to portray. They're complex and they need to be held with a great deal of respect and detail. Um, so I, like in some ways I do wish there were more characters with, um, I guess, physical or mental variations. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I am grateful for Entrapta um, and she's really well portrayed. I love that she, um, that the characters don't really treat her differently. Um, I think there are a couple of episodes where there are some communication breakdowns, but yeah. um, but Entrapta is so lovely as a character and so intelligent and loving um and there she has so many wonderful qualities that it it is quite easily overcome Mm. i I think i think anytime there is that kind of communication breakdown the episode is like specifically about Mm. them learning how to communicate with each other yeah and i think the fact that the show kind of managed to fit that in as well Alongside, you know, like all of the characters have some narrative arcs in episodes where their problem is a communication breakdown. It's mm. not, it, it's not considered to be an entrapter specific issue. It's, yeah, it's normal. It's just, yeah. This show's so good. Totes, it's really good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always feel bad getting to the end of an episode of this podcast and the best critical thinking that I can come up with is is real good. It's good, yeah. Is, is it's a good it's show. It's nice. <laughs> I like the, the thing. The things were really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Miranda, does She-Ra and the Princesses of Power pass the Bechdel test at all? Dear God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, this could not be more feminist. It's very feminist. Pass mm-hmm. the test. Women talk to each other about things that aren't men quite a lot. There's plenty of women doing the things. It's great. Well done. What a brother. <laughs> that was a bit of a gimme, wasn't it? Yeah, was oh, a little bit. One. I mean, there's only so much... There's only so many ways I can reply to that without sounding sarcastic. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you got to ask the question. And yeah. I, guess, I guess the other question that we have to ask is, are we going to write or ruin She-Ra and the princesses of power. Yeah, I think that's also a foregone conclusion at this point. I feel like yep. everyone knows the answer to that. We're going to rate it. <laughs> I do have one criticism of Shira. Tell me. And that's I think when when Swiftwind, the gallant steed that he is, yes. is first introduced, he is all about horse liberation and then oh, yeah. never brings it up again even though it's hysterical. He's all about, like, we've got to liberate all the workhorses. Yeah. And I'm like, I can get behind this socialist horse. Yeah. And then he, he, he just kind of drops it. And I'm like... That's a shame. That sounds like a really important cause. It was. Like, metaphorically, anyway. And very funny. Yeah. So, like... Okay, yeah. No, good point. We you did have, it. You have found the thing We found the criticism. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think, though, in the end, 
it's okay for a work not to be perfect and it can still be great. Like, I, I still wouldn't see that as a thing that would... Oh, no. Yeah. You know? You know? I still love it. I'm not going to... Still love it. I'm not, I'm not going to say Catra is one of the best characters that fiction's ever produced. No, but because is. of the horse thing, I'm going to hate this <laughs> show. <laughs> I guess, and, like, simplicity isn't the enemy either. Like, loose ends and simplicity and all those things that that critics do look for. Mm. I don't care about them. Especially if a show makes me feel something, which this this show definitely did. I think a story can be as messy and heavy-handed and clumsy as it wants as long as it brings something to me, like something emotional or, or some kind of learning or whatever. I think the value of art is is in that and and not necessarily in its precision i mm. guess i just criticized your criticism no well played yeah i know i'm sorry well, I just, well done. yeah do you feel really Served bad it right now? Back at me. <laughs> <laughs> how bad do you feel now <laughs> i feel like i feel like i shouldn't be on this podcast yeah anymore. i know i should just hand over That's the reins okay. to you i'll just take over with mim <laughs> we'll have a really great time and well then the podcast would finally pass the bechdel test so <laughs> Unless we talk about men, I guess. That's true. If you only talk about men. <laughs> oh, we'd have a really good vibe, actually, because like, I've got dark straight hair and she's got blonde curly hair. So like, we're half of a girl band already. It's all the three We've groups. We've got half the girl band. We just need a redhead, you know. <laughs> and we'll have Charlie's Angels then. Oh, amazing. Yeah. We got I wonder, it. I wonder how that would hold up under a feminist lens. Maybe you should find out. Maybe. Maybe that's next week. Oh I'm God. not going to promise anything. Yeah, don't promise things. It's probably that's not going to be Charlie's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Miranda, for coming on and, and talking about she with me. I've legitimately been looking forward to this Aww. for a long time. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I, I am really glad I was able to come and have some fun with you. So, yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Take care. Bye. Go Bye. watch she Do it. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.